Dr. Valerie McCray, Hello. it's so good to see you this morning. Thank yes. you so much for being here. Thank Some, you. Sometimes uh, the issues of life kind of uh, roll over us, you know. Exactly. Well, we get to be totally organic, so that's this right. is fine. Nothing planned. <laughs> that's no right. pre-existing pre conditions on this. <laughs> we just get to roll. Oh, we're just glad that you're here. Thank you so much for so, spending uh, time with us. Yes. So uh, when we talked, you and I, uh, we had been discussing, you know, the first thing that I saw about you is that, you know, you're a presidential candidate. But as we uh, talked about the issues that kind of revolve around our lives, what was really fascinating to me was the work you do in psychology and, and some of the specific areas in which you work in psychology. So uh, before we get to that, uh, give us a little bit of bio so everybody knows who you are, and then we'll jump into the psychology issues. Oh, goodness. Well, you started out for me. I'm a psychologist, a clinical psychologist by trade. I work with military. I work with the uh, incarcerated. And I work with youth that are out there on the brink of being incarcerated or something worse. So that's what I do. Um, and I've been doing that for about 20 years. This whole political thing was uh, I've never wanted to be a politician. I still sort of don't want to be a politician. I just want to do the job. Yeah. So this is just something um, totally um, new for me. So I'm having to learn mm. all the little details and all the little nuances of actually being like a candidate, which is actually interesting. But uh, yeah, I've been doing the psychology part for many, many years. And um, the thing is, you just can't treat everybody one at a mm. time. You got to find something a bigger way of, of healing, I guess we can say. Mm. That's uh, so important, and certainly uh, we know more and more about the areas of psychology in our culture today. Uh, certainly something that uh, stands out to us perhaps more uh, in this time period than any other, only because we talk about it more, perhaps. Uh, as far as psychology? Yes. Uh, I, think I, I think there is a... a I, I think our lives are beginning to be more complex, and I think uh, there are layers and layers and layers upon stress that we didn't have before. Um, and life is not as simple as it used to be, even not having, even just the introduction of internet mm. has introduced a lot more anxiety and stress and <laughs> trauma uh, as we speak. So it's a lot more complex these days. So I think that it is more, uh, there is more need uh, for psychological mm. help or intervention or just meditation techniques or something. Everybody needs to be able to just calm down a little yeah. bit. Uh, it's really important that you mention the issue of layering and specifically the issue of the, the difficulties that we face on a regular basis, just the constant pressures of life that come at us right. in ways in 2019 that were never true, you know, 20 years ago even. Right, exactly. They, they keep coming, keep coming. I think I mean, God is testing me as well. It's like, how much, how much can you take during this campaign? Mm. But I'm sure there's a lot more to come. But just the day-to-day, -day, uh, how to deal with the systems and how to deal with just finances, um, you know, a lot of different things. Because it's very expensive to be poor, for example. It's mm. very expensive to, be, uh, to have a poor credit rating. It's, it's very expensive. Uh, so people who are struggling actually have other layers of struggles as well. Yes. So There are underlying issues for everybody, and, and certainly some are suffering more than others. Uh, and to that point, let's get to uh, the folks that you interact with uh, on a daily and weekly basis. Uh, why don't you take uh, each of those groups? You, you had talked about working with the military, and I know that you're really focused on 
the issues of PTSD, mm -hmm. uh, and then perhaps we can talk about those that you interact with who are incarcerated. Uh, but let's start with the military. What is it that you're seeing in military vets and ways that you are interacting with them? You know, what I mostly do is I evaluate them for a disability, um, for a veterans' uh, disability. So the good thing is that they get to experience, experience having a psychologist that will never see them again. So that it puts a lot of, uh, a lot of, um, responsibility on me because you also you can't open someone up without having enough time to close them back mm -hmm. up as well. Mm -hmm. But they are able to open up with somebody that they know they probably will never ever see again. So we get to dig deep into the PTSD issues and sort of what actually happened that got them where they are. Mm -hmm. And then it's my job to build a story, I mean, whether it's going back into the medical chart or just following along this person's uh, career to build a story that just says, this person was on a path to having a great career, having a great family, having a great situation, and now it's, it's been derailed such that now they're not, they're not functioning very well at all. And just to make those connections such that it tells a story mm -hmm. uh, so that the VA uh, can compensate them and help them get back on that path. So that's the main thing I do with the military. Um, and we're just listening to those stories can be very um, horrific. Um, mm -hmm. And what's interesting is, uh, for example, the Vietnam vets, when they're telling their stories, it's as if it happened just yesterday, mm -hmm. which is really odd because you can see the tears as if it, it never stopped happening or just happened yesterday. And then um, another thing I'm finding with the Vietnam vets, for example, is that as their health fails, some of them are experiencing the PTSD symptoms either for the first time or they're reoccurring. Something about when your body fails, you don't remember a car accident, you remember Vietnam. Mm. Uh, so it's, mm. it's just interesting how that, that happens uh, with that particular group. I also do uh, brain trauma evaluations as well because a lot of the guys were um, experiencing a lot of IED, uh, explosive type things. So they have some, um, some minor head trauma type situations. But ironically, though, it mimics a lot of the PTSD symptoms. So trying to figure out what's what is a lot of what I do as far as it was a brain trauma, was it, is it PTSD or is it a combination of both? So that's one group of people I serve. And needless to say that those are contractual things and you do it for a year or two and then you're like, oh, okay, I got to do something else because it begins to be too much. Mm -hmm. Then I moved to the prison population. And you have the exact same situation there where you're like, okay, can you do this for a couple of years? But it's so intense that you still have to come out of that every now and then as well and just sort of like regroup and do something else for a minute. Mm -hmm. Because the prison population, I don't know if you know it or not, has the most, it's your new state hospitals. So you have the extremely mentally ill and you see how that manifests in, in very extreme ways. So it's not unusual, for example, for me to sit and listen to someone talk about how they chopped somebody's head off because some bizarre, strange reason because they were psychotic at the time. And they might be a little bit psychotic while they're even telling the story. So mm -hmm. uh, when you're dealing with that particular group, um, it, it can be very, you have to do a lot of, uh, 
little healing, self-healing after you've done with that group as well. But then more more so, the what I do see there are just guys that are just men and women that are just stuck. They made bad decisions early on and now they're stuck and they're getting calls from home or they're watching the news and they're seeing their families go through things in front of their very eyes as far as, uh, you know, a guy in prison might have a son that's been shot or, and they, they can't do anything about it. And that makes them even more um, distressed yeah. because they're locked away. They can't do anything about their kids misbehaving. They can't do anything about their parents' health failing and their parents dying while they're there. And so that's a different type of stress that I handle there as well. Uh, and then there's a crossover between these two because I have military guys that are in prison. So for some reason, and usually because of their PTSD symptoms, they do something really bizarre, uh, commit a murder or something or, or robbery or domestic violence to the point that they wind up in prison as well. Mm -hmm. So it's not unusual for me to do a PTSD group for military guys that are locked in prison. It's not like they... They should have maybe given them a different way of dealing with their punishment other than just throwing them in prison because a lot of this is related to their PTSD symptoms. So, yeah, that's what I do. You probably just need a minute after explaining <laughs> all of that to just kind of regroup for a Absolutely. moment. Absolutely. <laughs> I need some chocolate after that. Oh, right? my. Well, we'll make sure to, to uh, get you some endangered species chocolate. Oh, that's that's a, a, that's a good Are you a dark one. chocolate uh, Absolutely, yes. dark chocolate with just a little bit of creaminess to it. Yeah, well. okay. Have you I ever had a dangerous a, species chocolate? Absolutely, absolutely. Okay. I shop at um, fair trade places, okay. and so yeah, I love uh, their chocolates. Actually, well, that's great. Yeah, one of our uh, one of our great supporters, uh, endangered species chocolate. So we're grateful for their uh, involvement, and and actually, I I buy dark chocolate for my colleagues at IPPUI because they love it too. Okay. So that's really kind of fun to, to hear that you enjoy it as well. Absolutely. So next time our paths meet, we'll make sure to have the chocolate in hand. I thought that was on my website, chocolate. Oh. But, you know, it's not. I must have missed it. I, I've got to put it on there. Okay. Make sure I put it on there. Maybe and you should put that as a headline. Or, you know, buy me chocolate. Buy me chocolate, <laughs> dub and above, ladies and gentlemen, <laughs> dub and above. <laughs> I love the rhyming poetry and everything else. Yeah, just to, to take a moment to kind of breathe after all of that, maybe uh, what we ought to, to talk about uh, in our second segment is the necessity of uh, psychologists and psychiatrists to have their own sessions and perhaps even get, get away. Uh -huh. um, and that's something, of course, that, you know, I would never ask anybody on air uh, specifically about, you know, is this something that you actually do? But it's, I think, something at least that should be talked about. What is it that the trauma of other people, uh, of the other people's lives engage in you in a way that causes the psychologist trauma in and of herself? Yeah, you're talking about sort of vicarious trauma. And what you can have is um, what they call uh, compassion fatigue. Basically, you're giving, you're giving, you're giving, and then all of a sudden it's like, boom, I can't do it anymore. Yeah. I've run across that two or three times in my career where, it's, where all of a sudden I hit a brick wall where you just can't do it anymore mm. in that particular time. And I know a lot of people do that. It's a matter of just uh, regrouping. I just like I said, what I do is I change courses yeah. and uh, do psychology a different way. Um, 
for example, I'll go from guys that are stuck to going to the adolescents. Okay. And when I go to the adolescents, see, these are kids that aren't stuck yet. Mm. And so then you can just feed into them. Mm. And it's a different type of energy because you know that what you do can keep them out of trouble. So it's a matter of just shifting your psychology um, to sort of heal while you go along. Mm. Uh, but yeah, that compassion fatigue is real. I'm sure a lot of psychologists and psychiatrists experience that. Um, and then who do we go to, right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Let's, uh, we're going to take a one-song break here uh, just to take a breath, and uh, we'll come back here in just a moment. When we do, we'll have a little bit more conversation uh, with Valerie McRae about the issues of psychology that she engages, as well as this concept of compassion fatigue. You're listening to Warp and Move Radio, RadioNext.tv at the Cool Group site. We'll be right back. Cool. And we are still on Facebook Live. I always like to oh, okay. let everybody know that. All right, I'm still yeah. on Facebook Live. Is my Facebook channel up by any chance? No, it's not, is it? No, this is uh, his channel, and my channel is up. Oh. Yeah, same so way we do when you come on my show without your information. <laughs> what so you can that. do later on is grab uh, this archived. Uh, it just said, it it'll just be archived, it. yeah, okay. and then you can grab it. And the iTunes podcast will be out later on, too, and then you can okay. deal with that as you would So like. are we live on Facebook? Yes, we are. Oh, live. no, hi. Yeah, yeah, there you go. All your friends and neighbors out there. Oh, I can see us. Uh, okay, so I can't do anything bizarre. <laughs> yeah, okay. so the uh, the issue of compassion fatigue, I just have this quick story to, to tell you that um, my daughter has four children, uh, two of which are twins. Okay. And um, they took in uh, three uh, siblings uh, in terms of taking care of them for three months and you know she's got the, the twins at that time were like six months old and she's got a, at that time six-year-old and a three-year-old and when the foster care was over after three months the uh, she just had hit that wall yeah. she didn't have anything left to give nothing left, yeah. nothing left. And, and that happens to us um, I'm a little bit luckier than most um, uh, psychologists and clinical workers in that I have never it's very rare that I have the experience where I take stuff home with me. Okay. I'm able to leave it in that space mm. uh, and I don't know how I'm able to do that um, but I know that I do it quite well and I think it's because I give so much in that hour that I'm with that person or that two hours that it's like okay I've done everything I can do um, and I'm going home. Now, the way I even handle suicide watches, mm. um, whether or not I decide to put somebody on suicide watch is basically one question. Can I go home and not think about this person? And mm. if the question is no, I can't go home without thinking about this person. It's like, uh, okay, you said something. It kind of made me feel a little bit iffy. I don't want to think about this when I get home. So you're going to be uncomfortable tonight. <laughs> Mm -hmm. I'm going to put you on suicide watch, but I'm going to sleep well because, <laughs> because, you've taken, because care. I've taken care of it. I don't have to worry about mm -hmm. you. You're going to be uncomfortable. Somebody's going to be looking in and checking on you, but at least I don't have to take this home and worry about you tonight. Yeah. Uh, and, I, and I'll see you tomorrow. Okay. <laughs> so that's, how, that's sort of how I, I make those decisions as far as who's going on suicide watch and who's not. It's, wow. it's very, uh, in, in those cases, it's very self-care it's yeah. like okay 
I don't want to worry about you. So that is that is a phrase that uh, comes up quite a bit in the last few years. The concept of self care and the necessity of that. Maybe uh, when we talk, when we get back on air again, we can talk uh, about the compassion fatigue as well as self care, Uh, because honestly, it's something that we don't really talk a lot about and need to perhaps more. Yeah. So, yeah. you know, we can talk about how you do that, how I do that. Um, okay. Yeah. Okay, yeah. That, that kind of direction. Uh, and then, you know, any other place you want to go with this, I'm happy to you know, follow your lead if you want to go in a different direction. Um, we can um, go towards just where we want to take it. I, okay. I, 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 you like this? In and out? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, yeah, good. Yeah. Let's do that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, we got about 15 seconds before we come back in. Yeah, then, yeah, we can talk about a lot of different things. We can leave it We are back, Warp and Move Radio, RadioNX.tv at the Cool Groove site. Today we have with us Valerie McRae, a licensed psychologist, PhD in the field, as well as a presidential candidate. We're really grateful for her uh, being with us here today uh, because she's adding so much to our conversation about how we think about ourselves and about others and about the necessity of taking care of people as well as ourselves. And the first segment of our show, uh, Valerie and I were talking about the issues of psychology that she deals with specifically with PTSD and military vets, as well as those incarcerated. Uh, And something came up right at the end of the first segment that we wanted to come back to, which was compassion fatigue. And then uh, while we're on Facebook Live, uh, the concept of self-care. So Valerie, let's come back to that idea of compassion fatigue and why do you, uh, as a psychologist or maybe just generally in the psychological field, uh, view this as such an important aspect of life that we really need to engage more often? Right. Uh, If you're in any type of caring field, whether it's a a nurse, uh, whether it's a a CNA, Whatever it is, if you don't take care of yourself, what you'll find is you'll go to work with an attitude. You'll go to work with nothing to give. You'll be forcing yourself to be in a situation where you you literally have no more tools. You have no more ammunition. You have no more energy. And that in itself can generate a lot of frustration and a lot of Mm. anger and pain. And, And depending on what you do with that, some people take it out on other people, some people are just sarcastic, or some people are just tired. Yeah, just, <laughs> just tired. Yeah. Um, and it's just important to know that you're human, and you got to take care of yourself. Mm-hmm. And if that means coming out for a while, I, I, you know, I suggest that anyone in those fields have a a few days of of cash or money or something where you can say, you know what, I've I've got this taken, I can just take a day off and just take Mm -hmm. care of me, whether it's going to a spa, whether it's just staying home and reading a book, whether it's just reading a bunch of religious material all day long, spiritual material, whatever it takes to rejuvenate you, because if you don't, you're going to hit that brick wall. Mm -hmm. And then you're going to wonder what's wrong with you. And you're going to wonder, and all of a sudden you're going to get into trouble at work because you're not functioning very well at all. Um, and they don't care how you got to that space where you're not functioning. They don't care about that. What they care about is right now. Right what now. are you doing right now? Right. Scripture's pretty clear about this. Uh, I'm thinking about the Psalms, as, even as you speak about this, uh, the necessity of uh, talking to yourself, actually a, a cognitive psychological approach 
that the psalmist emphasizes, the need to get away, uh, even the concept of salah, which is repetitiously noted all the way through the psalms, which means stop, take a breath, uh, breath think, ponder, reflect. Uh, so we're constantly being reminded in the psalms to literally break it off and come away. Yeah, you have to. You have to regroup. Uh, if not, guess what? Your body will do it for you. Mm. You will either you'll hit that brick wall or your body will just take you down all of a sudden and it will mm. lay you down for a while. Mm. Whether it's the flu, the cold, or something, or whether it's something more, hopefully it's, it's not something more, but your body has a way of shutting you down if you don't shut yourself down soon enough. And you don't want to come to that. So you have to listen to your body, listen to what's going on. Um, I can always tell because I get real scattered. You know, mm -hmm. it's harder to make decisions. I get, you know, fuzzy. And then it's, okay, it's time to take a break here mm -hmm. and just sort of regroup and woosa. Yes. Yes. There you go. <laughs> you know? And it's hard to do. It's yeah. hard to do, especially. And I will say this: I'm going to, um, for females, and especially for African American females, we tend to go and go until we have nothing left mm -hmm. to give, and so we have to get in the, give ourselves permission mm -hmm. to take care of ourselves, and don't get carried away with that either. I mean, that can you that can be. I've met people that are so into self-care, I don't think they care about anybody else but themselves. So mm. um, there's a balance there mm. um, between taking care of yourself and, um, you know, going overboard the same, you know, in some way. But still, you have to take care of yourself. It you makes me wonder, care. as you're talking about this, that, you know, we can swing on this pendulum if... Mm. You know, certainly we can make an idol out of work. Certainly we can make an idol out of self-care as well. Right. We can make an idol out of anything. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. So our concern, of course, is one that uh, is rather consistent and uh, throughout all of life. Uh, when we think about this concept of self-care and compassion fatigue, uh, when you talk to other psychologists, what, what do you think is the most impressive comment that you hear coming from others about this kind of idea? Is, are there other uh, tactics, other ways that, that they come at this? Uh, or generally speaking, what you've just suggested, is this something that everybody does? I, I think that it just depends on who you are mm. and what works for you. Um, you know, it's very hard for a psychologist, especially a clinical psychologist that knows all the tricks. Mm. Uh, those all the all the signs, all the tricks, everything you should do uh, to take care of yourself, um, because you're teaching it all day long. And we're the worst at, you know, mm. as a physician, heal thyself. Yeah. Uh, we're the worst as far as actually stopping to take care of ourselves. I actually don't go to a psychologist when when I'm uh, uh, stressed out. I go to uh, my pastor or something mm. like that. Everybody has to have somebody. Mm. Um, I'll go to the pastor. I'll, you know, some of my friends are, are very good. They're very empathic. Um, you got to know who those people are because that's who you run to. Like, hey, am I crazy or what? Am I doing this or what? Can you mm. just give me a perspective? And you need somebody with a distance mm. to give you a perspective on everything. Um, mm. And you can't always give it to yourself. You, someone else sometimes have to, has to say, all right, what's going on? What's wrong? You're not yourself. Um, what can I do? Uh, tell me more. Mm -hmm. uh, and so sometimes we have to do that to our, for our friends, and our friends have to do that for us as psychologists or people that are, are in the clergy. Mm -hmm. uh, you guys need it too for somebody to just say, okay, 
all right, Mark, okay, how do you feel today, really? Because yeah. we have to take those masks off. Because Not masks, but sometimes we have to take off our our capes, our Superman yeah. capes, you know, you and go. say, okay, my cape has all these holes <laughs> in it, and it's got these holes, it doesn't fly anymore. Yeah. Um, so sometimes, you know, we have to take care of each other and take off those capes and just say, okay, I can't do it right now. Mm. I'm just human. And it scares people, though. Have sure. you noticed that? Sure. If you're a leader, um, if people are used to you leading and being strong, mm. those times that you want to take your cape off, mm. you find that people get really afraid and that a fear comes out as sort of anger. Like, what are you doing stressed <laughs> out? You can't be stressed out. You can't be depressed. That's mm. not your job. Your job is to do this. Our job is to be depressed, not yours. Don't yeah. do that. Yeah. Yeah, it's interesting how that works. This last week I was teaching in my church on Habakkuk, uh, where you have this prophet who's uh, basically talking to God in these diatribes. You know, he's very angry at heaven for all that God is allowing to happen to his people in Judah. And there's this back and forth going on. And I was explaining to people that literally I swing between profanity and penitence constantly. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And, you know, and so there were, there were some who were, you know, kind of wide-eyed about that kind of statement, but others were going, you know, yeah, they were shaking their heads up and down because they feel that too. You know? Yeah, that cussing Christian. Yeah, that uh, yeah you um, yeah you you are you're you're because for one thing there's rage you know mm -hmm. you you can't listen to all of this stuff without feeling rage and, and disappointment and sure uh, and and being angry with God is one of those things as well. I mean you're just like okay I thought you had my back Lord what's yeah. up what's up with this yeah. <laughs> I got some right. arrows back here yeah, that's right that's you didn't right. have I thought you had my back. I have these like strange conversations with God. It's just like, and I know he just shakes his head and just goes, mm -hmm. this child, this child just, <laughs> how many times am I going to have to tell you mm -hmm. some of this is your fault, but I got you anyway. <laughs> <laughs> yes, it's really true. Oh man, I, I was telling somebody just yesterday actually about the book of Job, for instance, that uh, most scholars think that the book of Job is probably the oldest book in the Bible. And if that's true, then God is trying to get out of the way uh, the most difficult question that everybody faces, which is why do bad things happen to good people? And if that's actually the oldest book and he takes it on first thing, it tells you an awful lot about how he's going to deal with the issues that he confronts with us. Right. Uh, you know, when Job asked the question, how come you let this happen to me kind of thing? Yeah. Yeah. Those are, yeah. I, you know, I remember the book that, that, meant a lot for me, and I'm going to kind of tie these things together, mm -hmm. uh, was when I was a kid, I, I read Solomon, you know, when Solomon was trying to just figure out where this baby, who this baby belonged to, mm -hmm. all right? And so it was a crazy lady and a lady who was the mother, and they had this thing about who does this baby belong to? And Solomon was wise enough to say, okay, we'll just split the baby in half. Mm -hmm. And of course the mother goes, no, no, she can have the baby. And so he was able to figure it out by that thing that he did. And I always thought, I remember saying to God, okay, I want to be like that. I want to mm -hmm. be that type of wise. Mm -hmm. Okay. Now, having said that, being that type of wise, I realize that God starts throwing you all kind of experiences mm -hmm. that prepares you for that. And sometimes, you know, I have those Job-like periods of time sure. and I'm thinking, 
God, you know what? You don't, I don't have to experience all this. I could really read the chapter on this. Just tell, me, <laughs> just tell me what chapter it is. I'll tell you. I'll read it. I'll study it. I'll learn it backwards. I don't have to experience everything. But those joke moments, um, mm -hmm. you know, it's, it's, it's uh, something. Yeah. Um, and, you know, I'm, I'm, you know, I will say I'm, I'm blessed. I haven't lost all my family and lost all these things and the Job lost. And mm -hmm. I, I don't know how he was able to do that. But he was able to come back from that. Yes. Um, the, so issue, story. the issue of uh, Solomon and the wisdom issues that you're bringing up here, First Kings 3 and 4, uh, really just powerful statements. And I love the fact that you brought up, you know, splitting the baby because it really does speak to the issue of Solomon's prayer when God said, you can have whatever you want. And he said, I'll take wisdom, knowledge, and understanding. And, you know, if there was a, a gasp in heaven ever, then, you know, maybe that was it when God said, okay, that was a great answer. I'm going to give you everything else too. You know? Right, right, yeah. That I, issue I, of wisdom is huge. Yeah, and I did ask for that. And I think, um, um, and I was a kid, and sometimes I'm going to take that back because I realize the wisdom comes with experience. Mm. It's like, okay, well. Uh, um, the issue of hardship is tough. Oh, yeah, yeah. And even going through this campaign, uh, uh, it hasn't been easy. Um, and sort of, I think, and even that I'm reminded, okay, maybe you need to go backwards and remember what it feels like to struggle um, so that you can be back in touch with that feeling so that when you go forward, again, you will be able to be that candidate that still remembers. Uh, I hadn't. I didn't think I had forgotten, but I tell you, me experiencing um, sort of the financial hardships of being that sort of a little-known candidate. Um, you know, people think that there's all these millions of dollars that goes with the mm -hmm. candidates. Yes, there are mm -hmm. with the with the uh, the top candidates or the ones that are connected with that machine, whether sure. it's a Republican machine or the DNC, uh, the Democratic machine. There's money that goes with that. But for those of us that are ground grassroots, there's no money that goes with that. So you're kind of doing it on your own. And so the decisions I've made going towards the uh, campaign had left me kind of in a financial situation where it's like, okay, i got to dig myself out of this. I actually, but the cool thing is, let me tell you about this story. Um, this, this whole campaign thing, it left me in a spot where I didn't have a, a transportation Mm. And so the other day, I was on my way to church, um, and I took a lift, and I was and I was praying on the way. Okay, this transportation thing is beginning to be an issue. Uh, my friends are tired of carting me around. Uh, I'm tired of trying to figure things out. I, I was riding my bike places, and it was starting to get cold. Here, I'm a presidential candidate now. I'm riding, riding my, a bike. Riding my bike. She really place. cares about the environment too. <laughs> And, you know, I get playing off. I'm riding my bike to Broward for them on on trail. And, but actually, what people didn't know is I didn't have transportation. And so I'm going to um, to church, and uh, the driver, the Lyft, the Lyft driver said that her vehicle had been wrecked um, and that she was using an Avis uh, vehicle that's connected to the, to the company, the Lyft company. Mm. So she got a car, and then she's driving Lyft. So I decided... I'll just drive Lyft so I can have a car to go to work and do the campaign. <laughs> so for the last 24 hours, folks, I have been a Lyft driver. Oh, my word. You are tri-vocational. <laughs> tri-vocational. Oh, know, my word. I know, right? 
Oh, and it's been, it's been amazing because I've got to meet people and talk about being a presidential <laughs> candidate. So that's what a fun. way to be on the campaign trail. <laughs> this is really something. No, I'm grateful to hear that story. Yeah, it's that's, a crazy story. No, I got here because I have a Lyft vehicle. And so if you need a ride anywhere. <laughs> I'm calling you, Valerie. Call Lyft. I'm right here. <laughs> oh, that's really good. I'm really happy that you shared that story. That oh, please really don't good. tell everybody. Oh, well, I you know, it's out there now. <laughs> it's out there now. Honestly, I think that would probably get you a whole bunch more votes just because people are saying to themselves, wow, that woman's committed, you know. I that's, am so committed. It's bizarre how committed I am to this. <laughs> that's really great. <laughs> you know, it's... A girl's got to do what a girl's got to do. <laughs> and we're going to go dove and above as well. You know, we got to go lift and then they got to go with the dove issue. For those Absolutely. of you who might have missed those comments <laughs> earlier, we were talking about the necessity of uh, eating chocolate Absolutely. and, uh, yeah, the, how important that is. Um, yeah, so coming down from the levity <laughs> issue, it's going to be kind of hard to, you know, outdo what we were just talking about That's there for right. a moment for a moment. Only uh, real life can, can generate this. Oh, stories. isn't that real the life, truth? Real life. I, I was thinking earlier about when you were talking about, you know, your friends might be tired of giving you rides and, and you were talking about how it's hard to do these things by yourself. And it reminded me of the New Testament emphasis on the one another's. And I was thinking about how it's important for us to encourage one another, to love one another, to be hospitable to one another, and the kindness that we should show to people and right. so on, all of those kinds of things. Um, how do you do that as a psychologist? Uh, is there a way that you uh, move and motivate people with kindness and generosity and, and love and mercy uh, in the way that you interact with folks? I think that the way, I think working in prisons, I think gives you a new perspective because mm -hmm. it gives you an opportunity to be Jesus like, mm. meaning that you don't go in with any judgment because, mm. and even with the worst case scenario, so you get to practice leaving your judgment behind and being able to sit in front of somebody that's committed some horrific crimes and you can take that. If it's like, if I can do this for this guy who's committed all these crimes, I can definitely do it for everyday mm. people that have not and just sort of taking that and then you want to when you walk into a situation you, you, you if you were able to stand up and smile this morning then it's sort of your duty to sort of spread that out mm. now i will say this i had another type of training as well which was i was a, a flight attendant that flew mm. international for a year for about three or four years mm. but that's training as well because you have to smile no matter what. No matter uh, what the plane is doing, no matter what the passengers are doing, you've got to give a good attitude. Now, I've been on planes since then and flight attendants aren't nearly as nice as I remember us being, but mm -hmm. um, but that's training as well. you got to leave your issues at home and, mm -hmm. and sort of give everybody a fair shot. And, and I don't know, it's just so much, how can I say it? It's it's just so much easier to be nice. It, <laughs> there you go. It's just so much easier. And, and a lot has to do with interpretation. And this is something I, um, you know, when I, when I drive with somebody, and especially my PTSD guys, they have really bad road rage. And then I drive sometimes with people 
ride with people that have also have road rage. And I tell them, and they'll say, this guy cut me off in traffic. This guy cut me off. I said, you know what? That's never happened to me. I have never been cut off in traffic, ever. And they're like, what do you mean you've never been cut off? I said, I've never had anybody to cut me off in traffic. Now, if you ask me, has somebody misjudged their time and had to get in front of me really fast? And I had the ability. Yeah, that's happened. I mean, that's happened multiple times. And I've always been grateful that I had the, the, the ability to put on my brakes so they could get over. And that way we both are all right. But I'm glad I had the ability to, to see what was coming. Mm -hmm. And that person, you know, you know, they, they just misjudged their timing. And we all do that. So with me saying that, believing that person is driving the very best that they can, I get to go about my day happy. Now, mm -hmm. that person who believed in that person purposely cut them off, they're ticked off for the rest of the day. <laughs> you know, they got to catch up with that person, give them the finger or something, or, and then they've got this rage, all because they interpreted it as someone cutting them off. And I interpret it as somebody just misjudged their timing and mm -hmm. needed to get over really fast. And so the, however you view your world, is, it will lead you to how the rest of your day is going to be. And I choose to always believe that people are doing the very best that they can at the moment with what they have to work with. You know, honestly, Valerie, the, that last two minutes that you just spoke, okay. that's gold. Okay. I mean, that should be on your website. That should be presidential, you know, <laughs> under the presidential seal. Uh, you know, can't we just be nice? I mean, wouldn't that be great? If, oh, gosh. Yeah. Just being nice means everything right now. Isn't that the truth? Uh, uh, that would seem to be just so easy, it would seem, right? Just so easy. I think we're, we're running to a time where people just don't trust each other anymore. Mm -hmm. and, uh, mm -hmm. and that kind of fuels my candidacy thing because they're going to need someone in there that can that's actually a healer. Mm -hmm. Because I don't think they're going to be able to move the country forward without someone actually a third party mm -hmm. and it sort of actually helped make me uh, push the decision to run as an independent candidate because I think we need three legs that trinity mm -hmm. um, nothing is more stable than a chair or a stool that has three legs or a tripod it's just a more stable thing yeah. <laughs> so it, it provides more stability and we have the trinity for example just Something about three maybe might be what we need to sort of bring the peace back. Mm -hmm. uh, so I'm looking at it in that way. Um, You're getting theological on me now, Barry. That's, <laughs> that's pretty impressive stuff right yeah, there. Yeah, yeah. This has been a really fantastic conversation. And honestly, uh, this idea that you've suggested, just pretty obvious that we should just be nice. Frankly, I would... I would vote for you as healer in chief. How about that? What do you, <laughs> you know, I love that. Is, I love you can that. you can have that healer in chief. I thank you. I, I got it. I own it. I love that. Yes. I honestly just sitting here with you for the last half hour plus. I'm thinking to myself, you know, she's a psychologist. She's somebody who cares about people. She doesn't get upset when somebody cuts her off in traffic. Who is this woman anyway? It's never happened. It's never, it's never, never happened. happened. Her explanation of this was fantastic. You've got to listen to this. Hit rewind later on, archived uh, Facebook Live, and hit this again. And also on iTunes, uh, Valerie, will, uh, we're going to have your stuff up uh, later All on right, as well. Great. So uh, I'm going to give you 30 seconds to kind of give a just a shout out to everybody, however you want that to happen. Uh, let people know here at the end of the show. All right. Just, you know what? Follow me on McCray2020.com, M-C-C-R-A-Y. Uh, 
2020.com. Just follow our campaign um, and just say hello, volunteer. Uh, there's a donate button as well. We'll be revamping that website for it to be more uh, about the independent uh, run because I was under the Democratic umbrella for a second, but eh. <laughs> uh, uh, I, I, get to, I get to be me now, and okay. I, I'm totally enjoying that. Uh, but yeah, just McCray2020.com, and I would greatly appreciate just hello, goodbye, I like what you're doing, uh, just whatever you want to write in there. There's parts of my website where you can actually write what you feel, and people have written a lot about. The really? question on that website is, how, what kind of world do you want, you, want your grandchildren and your children mm. to inherit? And yeah. people have really thought about that question. I've got some beautiful answers. So I invite you all to do that. It's on the website. I'm the one who reads those. So uh, please do. Yeah. Honestly, it's been great uh, to have this talk. I'm really glad that you find the time to get in here and chat with us today. And, uh, you know, take that healer in chief for what it's worth. But um, honestly, you. I would vote for you as healer in chief. Thank you. Uh, yeah, thank you. absolutely. Thank You've been you. listening to Warp and Woof Radio, Radio Next.TV at the Cool Groove site. Next week, we're going to be talking with Josh Hersberger, uh, who is on a Daniel initiative, actually bringing people together in the political sphere, which would be really interesting to have conversation with you. Oh. and and Josh uh, together on these kinds of issues, uh, really an important thing as we've been discussing here even today, uh, certainly something uh, that our country needs. And I love that phrase, you know, just can we just be nice. You know, it reminds me of Patrick Swayze, just be nice. You know? That kind of concept is uh, goes a long way in our world today. Thanks ever so much for joining us here today. We'll be back again next week and we'll see you then. Uh -huh.